ladies and gentlemen, from the studios in the wrestling capital of the South, it's another terrific episode of The Binge Buster Show. Please welcome your host, Tony Binge. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Binge Buster Show. It is July the 31st, and we have made it through one more summer month and unfortunately we don't have any exciting news to talk about we didn't (laughs) this has been kind of a crazy summer not getting able to do anything see concerts and stuff but um but hopefully things are going to get better as we get closer to fall uh one can only hope for Uh, but right now i want to bring in my co-host i'm talking about mr chris plano chris what is going on Terrific, Tony. How are you? Thank you for having me back on. And wow, another week has gone by. And yeah, gosh, July is in the books. It's, it's August uh, tomorrow. And, you, you know, the summer's going to be over. We're going to be into Labor Day and into the fall. And, uh, boy, it just seems like 2020 is rolling by. But it's definitely a, definitely a different year uh, uh, for us here in the United States and around the world. And uh, still trying to battle this COVID-19 pandemic and the coronavirus and just everything else happening. But, uh, as always, each and every week, look forward to talking to you in another great podcast. Yeah, it's going to be good, man. So, Chris, uh, the, the, here, here we are at the end of July. Uh, do you have any exciting news, anything that, that's fun that has happened to you uh, or that you've got to do for, for the for the July? I mean, you know, July is supposed to be the big month. That everybody celebrates barbecues and going to the beach and doing all this stuff. But, Chris, th- this year, this summer <laughs> – uh, it hasn't really been 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 much of that going on, is it? No, it it really hasn't. I mean, I've gotten out a few times. I did go to a July Fourth cookout at a, at a friend's house. I did do that much at least, and have gotten out here and there a little bit. And you know, I got my eye watching NASCAR and golf. But hey, if you're a sports enthusiast, it looks like baseball has started up this week, and so has the uh, you know the NBA and hockey as well. Believe it or not, they're playing hockey in the middle of the summer, so. The major sports are coming back, and now, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, what's going to happen with the NFL and, and college football as we head towards late August and September and what that's going to look like um, in the sporting world. And it's just a different time, a different era, and uh, um, you kind of just got to <laughs> gotta just ride the tide and, you know, try to stay the course. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, it's been kind of a quiet um a quiet week at my house the family they packed up and they went up north as ever as, as i've kind of joked around a, a little bit about my wife being from boston so my, my wife my daughter my son my mother-in-law they they took off last saturday and drove up to uh to boston and uh, new hampshire and maine and they're up there uh doing their thing and uh i've been sitting back here doing mine and Chris, I hadn't got a lot done. I've got, I got a lot of sleeping done while they were gone. I I had plans to to uh, renovate my my studio, do some stuff in there, change around, but unfortunately that didn't happen. But that's okay. Um, but I am excited about this week's podcast because uh, uh, <laughs> you know you, you know the the whole month of July, I decided that uh, I thought a good topic for our podcast would be the Great American Bash because you know. Uh, for years, Great American Bash was a tradition uh, in Jim Crockett Promotions, and then later on WCW, and we had some you know, pretty good um, Great American Bashes. So I thought the best way to end this month 
Great American Bash is would be to talk about the absolute worst Great American Bash in the history of Great American Bashes. And I'm talking about Great American Bash 1991. Uh, just, what, a couple of weeks before this big pay-per-view, Ric Flair went up north. He left, took the world title, and went to WWF and left them uh, high and dry. Um, but, man, i tell you what, Chris. I went back last night and watched this, this pay-per-view, and I was just scratching my head at some of the matches. And some of the matches I, I did enjoy. Um, it's just the booking of it. Uh, you could tell that this show was just like they had plans, and then when the plan, when Flair left, they didn't know what to do. So they were like scrambling to put something together. What do you think? <laughs> Absolutely, and it's in, in some circles that uh, you know you said maybe the great, the worst Great American Bash of all time. It may have been the worst pay per view. <laughs> of all time as well if not it's i would say it's definitely in the top five uh, when it comes to uh uh pro wrestling but yes wcw was uh i'll use the word scrounging to, to put the, the the final touches on the card uh together obviously with rick flair departing two weeks earlier with the world heavyweight championship the you know the wcw executive vice president jim heard at that time fired flair over a contract dispute. And then at that time I read that the champion had to put a $25,000 security deposit down to hold the world title. And then of course they give the world title back to the company. They get their deposit back. That did happen. Flair took off with the title to a very eager Vince McMahon up in the world wrestling federation who exploited that when Flair made his debut in the WWF, which was really a big deal, and 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 they referred to him as the world champion, and when they, and they ran with that as long as they could, and the WWF definitely got some steam out of that as well. Yeah, I, I remember um, seeing an interview one time with Ric Flair talking, where um, you know they they you know he got into it, finally got into it, had enough of Jim Hurd, and uh, and and Jim Hurd sent. Um, Doug Dillinger hit a security to Ric Flair's house to pick up the uh, world championship belt. And Ric Flair said, well, if you send him to my house, you better make sure you send my 25 grand uh, because that's, that's, that was the deposit that he had put in uh, plus interest. He won 25 grand plus interest because from since 1983, when Ric Flair put up the 25 grand, he never asked for it back. So he felt like, you know, since they held it all, the NWA had held it all this time, that um, you know, he definitely you know earned some interest, and I and I'd, I'd feel the same way, but instead, uh, to kind of give you an idea how how dumb um, he was, uh, he, you know he 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 tells Ric Flair he says, "Well, just keep the belt," and Flair's like, "Okay, fine." So then Flair calls Vince McMahon and says, "Hey Vince, uh, I think I'm ready to come up north now, and uh, and by the way, I got the belt," and Vince said, "Okay." Send me the belt. So Flair said he put it in a box and shipped it to, to Connecticut, and and then Vince and uh, and Bobby Heenan started, you know, uh, teasing it on television. And I remember as a kid, man, watching that, and I turned it over, and one of my friends in school said, "Hey, Bobby Heenan's got a belt like Ric Flair's." And of course, that that belt had, you know, that that back then that was only one of those belts, 
And when you saw that belt, you knew you knew that was a real belt. So, um, so I knew at that time the WWF was about to really take off. Um, having Ric Flair and the NWA World Heavyweight Title belt there uh, up north, um, I think if they'd booked that a little bit differently and made it look like Ric Flair was just coming in to take over, uh, I, I think they you know they would definitely would have got more out of it. But any event, Flair took the belt, went up north, and and had you know, what well, he said some of the best two years of his life, but left us with this pay-per-view that we had to, we had to watch, um, fans this, this pay-per-view, the great American bash 1991 took place at the world famous Baltimore arena in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, Baltimore arena had hosted several big time, uh, NWA pay-per-views like, um, the Jim Crockett senior Memorial cup, uh, was there. Um, and uh, uh, so some other great American bashes were there as well. But um, this one, 1991, took place on July the 14th. It drew 9,320 people uh, with the main event originally scheduled to be Ric Flair versus Lex Luger. But like I said earlier, Flair left, and that left us with um, uh, to determine a new champion, Barry Windham and Lex Luger. And we'll get into that match a little bit later on. But um, Chris, some of the matches on this show, as we look look at it, um, it really blows you away. Now I'm 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 disappointed as I'm looking over the matches that they had a dark match, the Junkyard Dog versus Black Bart. This match goes 12 minutes 45 seconds, and I'd have to and I'd have to say I, I didn't see this match, but it's got to be probably one of the best matches on the card. What, what do you think? Yeah, for for. Uh... You know, talk about trying to get the fans in their seats, a 13-minute uh, dark match. They were probably still figuring out how the rest of the show was going to go <laughs> for the night. Uh, but no, no. I mean, you know, Junkyard Dog, you know, obviously had a really great run in the, in the World Wrestling Federation, you know, prior to this. I mean, definitely in the waning years of his career, Black Bart, just known as a brawler in, in all territories. I mean, two, you know, respectful veterans in, in the ring. Um, you know, so, I mean, great opening match. I didn't realize JYD was actually, um, you know, in, I don't know how long his run was really in the WCW at, the, at this point. Uh, but, hey, he defeats Black Bart in a dark match. And, you know, wait for Baltimore. Baltimore was really kind of one of those crossover cities, kind of like D.C., where they saw both the NWA, WCW, and WWF shows, if not month, every other month. So, I think it just relates to the to the crowd as well that that's on hand and 9,300 back then, back in '91, which was an interesting year for wrestling. Even the early '90s was was, you know, I would say fairly strong for WCW as well, considering everything going into the show. Yeah, um, I, I I agree with you. It was it was definitely a um, uh, you know a, a, a good match. I'm sure um, Black Bart, uh, you know, he he was on one. Actually, he's been on the Binge Buster show now twice, and I think he'll be coming back again here pretty soon. We're gonna to try to get him back on the show, but because Black is ne- Black Bart is never a loss for words. And and Chris, when we get him on the show, you are you you're gonna love talking to Black Bart. He is a funny guy, but he's he. Yeah, what I like about him, he tells you like it is. He don't sugarcoat nothing, and he'll tell you that too. Hey, I'm gonna tell you how it is. Um, but uh, but uh, this dark match, you know, got the fans there in the arena off to a start. But then, when you turn on the pay per view, the very first opening match uh, is is really weird. Um, P- 
PN News and Beautiful Bobby Eaton are taking on Stunning Steve Austin and, and Terrence Taylor with Lady Blossom. Uh, this is a scaffold match, but instead of knocking your opponent off the scaffold, you got to make your way across the other side and capture the flag. Well, <laughs> talk about some pretty weird teams here. Austin at the time is the TV champion, I believe, um, at this time. So obviously the TV title not on the line. they got to capture the flag. You know, literally these guys have to, I would think, I would guess, crawl across the scaffold to get the flag. How wide is the scaffold? Maybe three feet, four at the most? Yeah. You got four guys up there. Um, You know, this isn't like your classic, you know, rock and roll versus Midnight Express scaffold match or something like that. Or Road Warriors versus Midnight Express, you know. Right, right. Road Warriors, Midnight Express, exactly. And to start off with a scaffold match in a pay-per-view is just really interesting, the positioning of this on the show. I'm not sure if WCW was just wanting to get this match out of the way. I I don't know what it was, or maybe they needed to because there was two steel cage matches later on that evening. I, I don't know what was going through their mind, but really interesting to start with a scaffold match. You, I don't I feel like there may not even have been a whole lot of build-up to this match, um, being at the first match on the show, and it's just interesting across the board, and Terrence Taylor and Lady Blossom, just names of, (laughs) I don't even really hear any, I think of Terry Taylor as a red rooster and stuff. Yeah, well, uh, now Lady Blossom, she definitely earned that name, um, because most of the time she was blossoming out of her blouse. (laughs) Uh, right, you know, at back then, I, I would, I would have loved, loved to uh, have saw a match between Lady Blossom and Missy Hyatt. Yeah, absolutely, it didn't matter who won absolutely. or lost. It wouldn't matter who won or lost. Us guys would have definitely won, been the winners on that one. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, but I mean, it's just an interesting match. Um, really, kind of a, a short match, only six minutes long, and uh, um, in a, you know, PN News. You know, um, you know, did some stints with ECW as well and WCW. So I mean, it just uh, interesting. And I kind of feel for Bobby Eaton in this match a little bit. I'm sure he was having some flashbacks of I think some classic scaffold matches back in the day. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Bobby was happy because for once he didn't have to take a, he didn't have to take a bump off one. <laughs> exactly. I don't think anybody wants to take a bump off a scaffold, but uh, but hey, they, they hey, you know. That's how it goes, but they were the they were the victors that evening, and uh, um, you know, just an interesting place on on the on the card for a scaffold match as the opener, you know, coming into a, a pay per view. Yeah. Now going from there, it take we we, we go to a singles match, uh, putting the uh, the the new gimmick of Scott Hall as the Diamond Stud with his manager DDP Diamond Dallas Page as they take on Tom Zink. Uh, in this one, um, this match goes about nine minutes. Um, I, I now I did kind of enjoy this match a little bit. Um, and at the time back then, I as, as a young kid watching this, I remember seeing the diamond stud and go, Man, he's new, he's a really big guy. And I had no idea that he'd been in the business for so long. And it was actually Scott Hall, he had just shaved off his beard and or his mustache and uh, and dyed his hair jet black and um, but and and put on a little bit more weight. 
and and I, I didn't even know it was even him until later on, you know, uh, and and when whenever he came back to WCW as Scott Hall with the NWO, I was like, wait a minute, that's a Scott Hall from, you know, uh, American Starship Coyote, I think was his first gimmick, but uh, uh, pretty good match. Um, what, what 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 do you think about this match, Chris? I I mean, I look at this match on the show, and um, you know, again, interesting match. I mean, knowing knowing. Scott Hall from his obviously his you know run as Razor Ramon in the in the in the WWF was unprecedented. The build up for that, I mean, it was a great gimmick, and and and, and even Tom Zink had a great run in the WWF as well. So I kind of look at them as, as two wrestlers from the WWF, kind of on a on a WCW um, show. Um, you know, interesting as uh, the Diamond Stud. <laughs> you know, I think people look at him as either Scott Hall or, or Razor Ramon in the ring. So trying to you know, repackage the image, but it, it's kind of tough to shake that a little bit as well. Um, DDP at that time, I guess, was managing. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where it was in 91. And then, you know, Tom Zink was a really good wrestler, um, never really over big time. Um, so I'm not, not surprised Scott Hall goes over, you know, on this match, which went a little over nine minutes. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, like I said, I, I did enjoy this match. Um, but but moving on from this one, um, the next one was hilarious. This this match um, was was a definitely stupid match. But we had the All American Ron Simmons taking on the great and wonderful and powerful Oz with Merlin the Wizard. Um, this match was was so was so theatrical. Uh, one of the things that I remember watching about this that I didn't understand is they've got Oz, which was actually Kevin Nash and, uh, the wizard who was actually Kevin Sullivan, but that, but they had them wearing Halloween masks to look like old men. Um, and I'm just watching this match as they come out. I'm like, who booked this crap? This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was kind of like Ron Simmons going up against the uh, against, against the Wizard of Oz. Um, yes, and it, it was like, what does Ron Simmons even do with this? Right. Uh, you know, like what even do? And actually, they said Ron Simmons was on fire in this match. Oh yeah. <laughs> actually, when I read one of the ratings, and it's like, and and it's it's, it's Scott Hall. I'm mean, not Scott Hall. Um. Kevin Nash, excuse me, I'm thinking NWO here. Yeah. You know, again, going as odd, it's just, it's just odd, just overall, and Merle, the Wizard, Kevin Sullivan, it's just like, you know, everyone knows, you know, these wrestlers under under different names, and it's just like, what is going on here? If you didn't know what was going on, you would think these are just, you know, like, it's kind of like a comic book. Uh, series almost. Um, but hey, good for Ron Simmons in this match. Going over, I mean, you know, you know, you know, defeating Kevin Nash, and you know, uh, you know, Ron Simmons is always, you know, a rugged wrestler in the ring, and then someone I always kept my eye on throughout his career, both in WCW and obviously his run in the WWF um, with with JBL as well, and their skits that they did. So I always usually kept an eye on him, you know, throughout his career. Yeah, that that was definitely a um a uh, a a good match. I enjoyed that one. Um <clears throat> it's just one of those things where uh you know, it's just one of those um uh matches where you know at the time Kevin Kevin Nash was green, he was just starting out and 
and you know they 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 were because I think by this time he'd done had a couple different gimmicks in WCW because he had been um, let's see I think he was one of the Master Blasters and then he was uh, Oz and then he goes from Oz to Vinny Vegas and then finally he leaves and goes to WWE and becomes Diesel and actually gets a gimmick that works for him but um, you know all in all. <laughs> Um, props definitely go to Ron Simmons on this match. Now, <clears throat> the next match that I that I want us to um, talk about is putting the great Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, for the for the first time against each other, which was really shocking to me. Uh, I remember watching that on television. When Ricky Morton uh, joined the um, the York Foundation um, and came out there, and then and then Robert appears and says, and now this happened at the great at the um, uh, Clash of Champions right before the Great American Bash, and Ricky, you know, Ricky's out there and he tells the people, he says, you know, in his promo, he says, you know, fans, when whenever I signed the contract to join the York Foundation. That means I never have to sign another autograph. And, man, that, that that was big words coming because Ricky was like the ultimate baby face of the Rock and Roll Express. Um, you know, I mean, a great baby face. And then they, they, they turn him heel and put him in the York Foundation. Well, then Robert, it, you know, Robert runs out um, and tells Ricky, hey, brother, you know, I've been trying to call you. You haven't been returning my phone calls. I mean, I'm, my, my knee is better. I'm, we're ready to go. Hey, what's the deal, man? And Ricky tells him, says, well, the deal, the deal is money and a lot of it. And then Terry Taylor and uh, the big cat, Ernie, uh, 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 Curtis Hughes, um, they uh, get ready to attack Robert. And Ricky says, no, that's not in the contract. That is not in the contract. And he says, you know, Robert, I've been waiting 10 years to do this. And he turns on Robert Gibson and the place goes nuts. And that was like the, I remember watching that, like I said, as a kid, and I was like, oh, I cannot believe this. The, the the one team that you thought you'd never see break up just broke up. Ricky and Robert. It's like it's like it's like I, I, that that year was ninety one, and I was like, man, my my favorite tag team, the Rock Express, has broke up. My favorite rock group, Motley Crue, just broke up. What is going on in this <laughs> world? You know, uh, it was crazy, man. It was a crazy time. Yeah, it absolutely was. And uh, uh, Richard Morton with Alexandra York, Terry Runnels. <laughs> Yeah. This, uh, uh, manager here and uh, I mean it, it, I mean great I mean I don't know I, I mean I think uh, again to have you know Ricky Morton take on Robert Gibson in a singles match everyone looks okay they've been the Rock and Roll Express they've done so much in the in the industry and in the business what's going on here you know like but also who would two better individuals to wrestle each other in the ring that wouldn't know each other inside and out and, and back again than, than Ricky and Robert. <laughs> and it went 17 minutes, and they, they probably could have won an hour if they wanted to. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, for sure. In, in the ring and, uh, and, and, and put on a show. Yeah, it was definitely a, a good match. I enjoyed it. Um, now, going moving from there, going on to the next match, a six-man match, and, and, I, and I, now this one had some of my favorite people in there. Uh, the natural Dustin Rhodes and the Young Pistols, Tracy Smothers and Steve Armstrong, uh, take on the fabulous Freebirds, um, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin or Jimmy Jam Garvin, Michael P.S. Hayes, and the new member of the Freebirds, Bad Street, who was actually, in case you people didn't know it, um, was actually Brad Armstrong uh, in a hood. Uh, and their manager was Big Daddy Dink, 
which was uh, Sir Oliver Humperdinck. <laughs> <laughs> Telling that name, Big Daddy Dink. Um, but uh, but you know they're but 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 you know what though, Chris, I it, we laugh, but I did kind of like this version of the Freebirds. Although in my eyes, the Freebirds will always be. Um, no offense to, to Jimmy Garvin, I love Jimmy Garvin, but uh, we'll, we'll be the originals because I, I just thought that they were just a badass team of, of Buddy Jack Roberts, Terry Bam Bam Gordy, and, and and of course Michael Hayes. But but I but I did like this version of the Freebirds because it was like a you know a new decade, and so they you know they they uh, made some changes and kind of brought it more up to you know um, you know new stuff going on. Uh, new look and uh, with, with having Big Daddy Dink out there, uh, who who looked like a Harley, he looked like a Hell's Angel out there in the in the gimmick he had on. But uh, but I but I enjoyed this six man match. This, this match went it was it went seventeen minutes ten seconds, and it was actually a elimination match. So as as you get eliminated, you, you know somebody on your team uh, has to leave. Um, and uh, on this one, the first uh, wrestler to get eliminated was Steve Armstrong. Um, he got eliminated by Michael Hayes as Michael and um, and Bad Street gave him a double DDT. Uh, next wrestler to be eliminated was uh, Michael Hayes. He gets disqualified for backdropping Smothers over the top rope. Uh, then the next one was uh, Tracy Smothers. He gets eliminated by Jimmy Garvin with a double DDT again by Bad Street. Uh, then Jimmy Garvin gets eliminated by the Lariat from Dustin Rhodes. And then uh, it leaves Dustin Rhodes and Bad Street uh, in their final two, and of course Dustin uh, wins the match, giving Bad Street the uh, the bulldog. Uh, the whole show or this whole match lasted seventeen minutes ten seconds, elimination style. What do you think, Chris? Um, I I mean it, I mean it's really a I mean it's a good match. I mean I look you know Dustin Rhodes, uh, young Dustin Rhodes here, and then you know Tracy Smothers, he's been everywhere. You know, you know whether it's WCW, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, WWF. I even think he was in ECW for a little bit as well. And then you got Steve Armstrong from Legendary Armstrong Brothers. You know, obviously one of the sons of Bullet Bob Armstrong. You know, and then the the Freebirds. And and you know, you know if you're Michael Hayes in the ring here, you got to work. You got to work. You got to work. But he's probably saying, you know, where, where's where's uh, um, Terry Gordy, Buddy Roberts here? You know, you know the Freebirds of uh, of old. But you know, obviously, you know. You know the angle with uh, with with Jimmy Garvin being a free bird, and then uh, and then Bad Street under the, under the under the hood, Bob. You know uh, Brad Armstrong, but it's uh, interesting. Um, I still can't get over Big Daddy Dink here. I kind of forgot about uh, they repurposed the Sir Oliver Humperdinck, <laughs> but I think kind of everyone remembers him as Sir Oliver Humperdinck. You know, no matter what you do with them, but uh, um, good match along that elimination match. I mean, um, it seems the eliminations went pretty quick once they started yeah you know leaving it with dustin and bash street at the end um you know and, and obviously with uh, with dustin um um going over there but uh you know interesting times i mean though when i think of the fabulous freebirds i think of the original three that's just me yeah yeah you, you and i both chris i mean man looking back if if if, if some of you listeners at home uh, never witnessed um, the Freebirds versus Von Eric feud. I highly recommend uh, going on the network and pulling that up under the World Class Championship Wrestling um, page. Uh, man, there there have been some hot feuds in this world, 
or in the wrestling business, but man, I don't think any of them were as hot as the Von Eric Freebird feud. Oh no. Oh my gosh. No. I mean, six man tag team, six man, sometimes even eight man. <laughs> yeah. There. You had to get the um, old man no, involved. Ab- yeah, absolutely. And, but you know, when they hit bad street USA and the Freebirds were coming down the aisle, I mean, it was just like, you knew it was going to be on. And, and, um, Michael P.S. Hayes would always have that head bobbing, and he'd be ready to go. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, walking down the aisle, down <laughs> down the aisle, and uh, and 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 you know uh, that, that, and and back then, you know, they, they of course they had to they had to change their gimmick because of uh, you know, because back then they used to they used to wear the the stars and bars to the ring part of the ring jacket, but um, but the Freebirds, man, they were just like bad dudes that just you know they uh, they uh, just took. They, they, you know, they didn't take no names. They just beat everybody in, in, in you know, in their, uh, in, in, in their way. Um, I, I loved them. Uh, I always thought a lot of, uh, of the free birds. That was like one of my all time favorite, um, favorite teams was the free birds. And, uh, man, some of the stuff they did, but, but if you go back and watch the, um, the Bastard USA video, I mean, man, that, that, uh, that, that video was just, I mean, it looked like a real video from MTV. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was well put together. And, uh, I was a Freebird fan. I mean, I just, I just loved, I think I loved, I think I just loved the persona and the gimmick of it, maybe even more than some of the wrestling in the ring more than anything else. But it was kind of like, you just knew, I think bad street USA, Atlanta GA and the, the whole thing. It was just, you know, it, it kind of just worked for professional wrestling. And, 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 and they were in it at a great time when tag team wrestling and really when six man tag team wrestling was heavily publicized in numerous uh, um, federations at that point in different wrestling organizations. Yeah, and uh, as we get ready to move on to the next match, I'm going to play a little bit of Bad Street USA so some of you uh, fans out there that uh, didn't get, that don't know this song can hear it. And the ones that love this song, like myself, can can relive those days of uh, seeing the three Freebirds coming down the aisle in the Sportatorium getting ready to beat up Devon Eriks with Michael Hayes singing. Further down the block you went, the better it got, Chris. That's it, man. It's the better it got, and if you don't want to run into those guys in the dark alley. You're not going to come out and ever the same again. <laughs> no, and and and, and Chris, I, I I don't know if you know this, but if you go back and watch the Bastard USA video, of course, you know the the, the at this time the Freebirds were uh, Jimmy Garvin, Michael Hayes, and and Terry. Uh, I'm sorry, Michael Hayes. Buddy Roberts and Terry Gordy were the Freebirds then, but if you watch the video, the Bastard USA video, and go back and look at it, there's a scene where uh, in the verse he talks about uh, the ambulance driver. Uh, the ambulance driver plays uh, the, the 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 wrestler in this video that plays the ambulance driver is Jimmy Garvin. Well, I did not know that. 
Yeah, if you watch it, he, he he's wearing like the little white, the white, uh, like doctor's coat, and and he turns mm-hmm. around and says, and he peace. starts singing. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, anyway, I, I like the free birds. So, but but now moving on to our next match, um, another another weird match, um, the Yellow Dog, which was actually Brian Pillman taking on Johnny B. Bad with his manager Theodore R. Long. Uh, this match, the yellow dog is actually Brian Pillman in a mask. Um, he defeats Johnny B. Bad by disqualification whenever Teddy Long interferes and tries to unmask the yellow dog. Um, if he had been able to unmask him and show the world that the yellow dog was Brian Pillman, then Brian Pillman would not be allowed to wrestle in WCW ever again. Um, the yellow dog gimmick, it, it went on for a while. It was, um, I, I think he started out with uh, Barry Windham and then moved on to Johnny B. Bad. Um, Chris, what, what, what are your thoughts of, uh, Brian Pillman as a yellow dog? I don't know. I never really got, <laughs> got into it. It was a good angle. I think for television with the mask and getting the mask off and, uh, you know, him having to leave WCW, um, you know, I kind of get, I mean, I kind of know, you know, I think everyone knows him as flying Brian Pillman. Again, another, this is, I think another one of Dusty's angles, you know, behind the scenes, you know, kind of deals with Brian Pillman and for Johnny B. Bad, I, as I, as I read really his first pay-per-view appearance for WCW um, as well for, for him. So uh, just an interesting match overall, but I, I also think at this point they were really um, um, pushing Johnny B. Bad at this point, but the yellow dog wins by DQ in this in this match. I think Teddy Long interferes at, at, at some point. Um, only goes six minutes. Um, you know, I, I think it's a prelude of what's to come. <laughs> you know, yeah. a, a little bit. Uh, you know, and again, coming off of two matches just be, you know prior to them that went 17 minutes each respectively. Uh, the next few go seem pretty quickly. Yeah, they definitely do. Uh, our next match, uh, match number eight on the card. <laughs> Um, is Big Josh, who uh, was um, who was actually a pretty pretty big star in world class championship wrestling, not as Big Josh, but um, uh, he he takes on Black Blood with Kevin Sullivan. Now Kevin Sullivan's making another appearance. Now he's Kevin Sullivan and not the Wizard. Um, but Black Blood, in case you fans don't know who Black Blood was, uh, that was actually Billy Jack Haynes. Yeah, a- absolutely. And when I, you know, when I when I look at this match, I look at yet another kind of you know WWF wrestlers from the '80s. You, you know, uh, uh, you know Billy Jack Haynes was 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 huge in the WWF as a wrestler and, and yeah. got a really good push as a mid card. You know, you know wrestler for them had that Irish angle working, and it, it worked for the WWF back then. And unfortunately, his out of ring troubles kind of you know you know was his demise in the wwf and 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 being let go by vince mcmahon um outside of the ring and then obviously it seems at this point if you were let go by wwf you ended up in wcw that seemed to be (laughs) the way it it went back Back and forth you know in the in the early 90s and, and vice versa as 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 well and um you know big josh here uh matt bourne (laughs) <laughs> was uh, was Big Josh at this time, and and, and a lo- an interesting a lumberjack match. I'm not sure what the buildup was for this particular 
um, match, and then Kevin Sullivan becomes now Kevin Sullivan just a couple of matches later from Merlin the Wizard. So just an odd <laughs> time here. Um, and I think for Billy Jack Haynes, another kind of like junkyard dog within the waning years of his, uh, you know, wrestling career, you know, obviously just trying to get the most out of it, you know, on the national level. Well, I, I think the thing with Matt Bourne is um, this was right before he really got his big break uh, and got a job with WWF. Uh, but, you know, right now he's big Josh. He's like the lumberjack and they got him in a lumberjack match. <laughs> this match goes five minutes, 39 seconds with big Josh winning. Now this I, I, shortly after this, it, I'm sure it wasn't too, too, too much time in between here. Uh, Big Josh will leave uh, WCW and go to WWF and have like his most successful run to date um, as Doink the Clown, uh, the evil clown. Which, which at the when I, when I first saw this gimmick, I said, "What in the world is going on here?" But, <laughs> but, but as I watched it more and as the character evolved, um, I, I enjoyed Doink the Clown. Oh, absolutely, and then it, it it worked with the fans and what Vince McMahon was trying to do, and and you know, young kids, and you know, and um, you know, it just it just worked. It was always a feel good time when Doink the Clown came to the ring. You were going to be entertained, and somehow he was going to win, you know, some way, shape, or form, and and everyone leaves uh, happy. Um, and then later on down the road, I, I, I believe, if my mind is correct becomes a a, a bean joint the clown <laughs> as yeah, well yeah. may not be the funny clown and um but overall it, it worked and then then next thing you know there were many doink the clowns running around <laughs> yeah there's a bunch there, of them. Doink. The independent scene and different things yeah and uh and matter of fact one of the doinks was actually on our show last week <laughs> fans oh our, our, yeah. good, our good friend tommy or uh, drake tungsten uh, at one time, he was one of the um, one of the infamous Doink the Clowns on the independent circuit. Um, anyway, uh, great match there. Um, you know, little lumberjack match, good good little gimmick match in between to to, to, to kind of give everybody a little break. Um, now this next match goes six minutes thirteen seconds and goes about six minutes ten seconds too long. Um, Ellie Gante taking on the one man gang. Moo. I always want to do that, but the one man gang, um, taking on Ellie Gante, uh, one man gang's manager again, Kevin Sullivan. Uh, this match, like I say, goes six minutes, 13 seconds with, uh, Ellie Gante winning. Uh, Chris, do you know the story of, of Ellie Gante and how he got a job in WCW? I, I do not know the story. No, I, I, I can honestly say no, but I am actually reading a review of this match. <laughs> so, one person says he thought half the crowd was sleeping during this match. I'm sure they were. Um, but, uh, God, I mean, just, I, just <laughs> Ellie Gante. Hey, he was a big guy. I mean, a huge guy at the time. Seven and, feet uh, tall. Um, yeah, he was tall. And, you know, and WCW, they were looking for a big guy. I mean, obviously um, – you know, I mean, they were looking for big guys, tall guys, you know, monsters, and, and, and he fit the role well. And one-man gang, no slouch of himself in the ring either, uh, obviously in his WWF days and WCW and, and uh, other promotions that he wrestled for. So no slouch by any means in the ring. And, you know, it's, it, you know you're stepping in with one-man gang, it's going to be a brawl. Yeah. Now, Eligante, the story behind him of how he got his start in WCW, um, the Atlanta Hawks basketball team, scouted him 
um, in Argentina and said, oh, my God, we got this seven-foot-tall guy. He's definitely going to be a great basketball player. Only problem was he was he was clumsy. He'd fall over his trip over his foot. So they said, "Man, we brought this guy from Argentina. We got to do something for him." And at the time, you know, Ted Turner owned WCW and of course the Atlanta Hawks. So they said, "Well, let's let's make him a wrestler. I mean, definitely make some money off him as big as he was." But unfortunately, from the stories that I've heard from other guys, uh, Elegante was just one of those guys that just didn't get the business. I mean, he just didn't get it. Um, and so, uh, he had a little success from WCW, but not much went to WWF, um, and, um, and ha- had a little run up there. I think he had a couple matches with the undertaker. Um, but, uh, uh unfortunately, Elegante, um, actually passed away at a very young age. Um, but, uh, and, and I think like WCW's guys back then, the bookers thought that Elegante was going to be their Andre, the giant, but the, but the difference was, was Andre was trained by the guys that knew the business and, and he traveled with these guys, uh, the old school guys and taught him how to work. Uh, Elegante, he he didn't, he didn't have that opportunity. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I remember Elegante. I mean, he was huge man i mean he was just menacing in the ring and uh had a great push with wcw and 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 did some great things you know for for wrestling and obviously i know you mentioned andre he was uh may have been really in his waning years of his career maybe even retired at this point point but it's uh um you know i mean i do remember him you know it was uh it was a time, and he defeated the one-man gang, you know, with Kevin Sullivan and yes. you know, went over in the match. But like you said, it might have went <laughs> a little bit too long in six <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's being but, a little uh, mean on that one. Yeah, no, you're fine. And, uh, and uh, you know, it, but it, it was a prelude of, of, of what's to come for the rest of the evening, which uh, the next couple of matches intrigued me because then it really brings me back to what, the great American bash was all about with, with the next couple of matches on the card. Yeah. Now this next match, um, is, was probably the last good match on, on the show. Um, before our two, uh, cage main event, uh, Nick, the Russian nightmare, Nikita Koloff, uh, came back to WCW, um, and, uh, started up a little feud with sting. And in this one, uh, he and sting are doing a, a Russian chain match that, that goes 11 minutes, 38 seconds with Nikita Koloff defeating Sting. Um, Chris, what what are your thoughts on this Russian chain match? Well, I mean, you know, always, you know, this was a four corners Russian chain match, I believe. Yes. Um, if I, if I wasn't, um, if I'm not mistaken, um, obviously when you think of the, of anything kind of Russian match, it's going to play into, into the Nikita Koloff's hands, at least from a psychological standpoint to the fans. You're thinking, okay, Sting's coming in a little bit at a, at a disadvantage here. Uh, obviously, when you come with these kind of uh, matches, and uh, you and, and I'll, I'll talk about something which maybe could have been an angle on this pay per view, but there probably wasn't enough time to promote. But when I look at this match, I mean, now I'm thinking, okay, Great American Bash, you know, mid to late '80s. Now you got Nikita Sting. You know, this is the WCW's, you know, the former NWA. You know, and I think this probably woke the crowd up, <laughs> I would say, with, with Sting hitting the ring and things like that. And 
you know, Nikita coming back as well. So, I mean, great match. I mean, for the uh, for the show. I mean, they went tw a little under 12 minutes. Um, Nikita defeating Sting in this uh, particular match, and it was a Russian chain match. But um, again, I would have to say Sting probably the, the most, probably the biggest pop of the night. I'm saying that as, as when he hit the ring, I would say of any of the wrestlers on on the show. Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, the next match before we get to it is the, uh, which I would have thought would have been the main event on this, uh, great American bash, but unfortunately it was not. But, um, before we get to this match, I've got a little pre-tape interview, uh, from uh, then WCW president Jim Hurd as he announces the main event for the great American bash 1991. Hello wrestling fans. Jim Hurd, Executive Vice President of World Championship Wrestling, with a very important statement for you fans. World Championship Wrestling is saddened to report that after extensive negotiations with Nature Boy Ric Flair, stretching over the course of nearly one year, the parties have been unable to arrive at a mutually satisfactory contractual relationship. As a result, the WCW Board has decided that the best course of action for WCW and its fans is to declare the World Championship title vacant and to determine a new champion at the Great American Bash this Sunday in Baltimore. Lex Luger, the number one contender and current United States champion, will remain on the title card at the Bash. His opponent, as determined by the WCW board, is one you've been waiting for and asking for for a long time. It's Barry Windham versus Lex Luger at the Great American Bash in Baltimore. On a personal note, I'd like to take this opportunity to extend my best wishes to Ric Flair and wish him the best in the future. He is a great champion. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna wish Ric Flair good luck at the end after he's already you know pretty much pushed him out. Yeah, I mean, gosh, uh, this was um, you know I, I was gonna say. You know, and, and, and you know, you threw you throw Barry and, and no, nothing against Barry Windham at all. Nothing against Barry Windham. No, very Barry, Barry's opponent. a great worker. You, you know, nothing against Barry at all. But getting tossed into a, a main event match for the vacant world heavyweight championship two weeks out. It's like, what's the build up for this? Everyone's got Ric Flair on their mind. They're even saying people in the Baltimore arena are saying we want Flair as as they're lowering the cage or. And the wrestlers are coming out, and I mean, if you're both Luger and Wyndham in this match, you're probably like, "What? The, we we got to not only put on a show, but we got to overcome this. You know, it's just fresh on everyone's mind, and that this is just kind of a, a it's really a, a, a train wreck, <laughs> to be honest with you. And, yeah. And we're, we 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 got to we got to get the title on someone at the end of the night. Yeah, um, uh, I, I know. I, 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 like I've watched this show, and I even heard people talk about it. But like, like you said, during this whole match, uh, the fans are chanting, "We won't flare, we won't flare, we won't flare." And I was waiting. I remember watching this match the first time. I was waiting to see Ric Flair just run down, you know, and 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 he and Barry, uh, you know, beat up Luger and. Of course, they reformed the Four Horsemen, but of course, that didn't happen. Ric Flair was on his way to um, to uh, New York. Um, so, you know what what does a company like WCW do uh, when just six or seven days? I'm not even sure the exact time, but uh, Ric Flair leaves and goes to WWF and takes the belt with him. 
if, if so many people don't know, you can't like make a, a championship wrestling belt in you know five minutes time or two days. I mean, it takes or there's a process. Um, so the only thing, the only thing I'm about to laugh, I'm about to tell a story, but the only thing they could do was they had to get an old belt, uh, which I think was actually the Western States Heritage Championship. They took that belt, painted it, and then took and 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 taped some like pieces of brass over top of it that said world championship wrestling heavyweight champion. And even if you go back and watch the match, when Luger wins, he don't even hold the belt up. He tries to hide, he tries to hide the belt. Um, so, uh, but, but man, what a, uh, what a, what a crazy, crazy time, uh, that WCW was in, in 1991. It, it was a crazy time. You know, I was almost thinking, you know, I mean, I know they threw Barry in to, to make the match, and it was a cage match. But what about like if you if you put Nikita and Sting on earlier in the night, and then the winner of that match takes on Luger for the title? Yeah, that might have been a decent angle going in, especially if Sting happened to go over, and then Sting took on Luger. That place would have popped. Yeah, I mean, again. 2020 hindsight here, <laughs> but you know, I just feel, for, I mean, it's kind of like Barry Windham's filling in for Ric Flair. I mean, the, I, I, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I think originally, originally they, they wanted, um, Flair to, when, when the, when the, uh, contract negotiations were going South, I think Jim Hurd actually wanted Ric Flair to like fly out and, um, drop the belt to, um, to Lex Luger. And, and, and Flair said, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, you know the the, the man that the man I'm, I, that's, that I promised the belt to was Barry Windham, and he's the one I'll go drop the belt to him. But Jim Hurd was was very adamant about wanting to put the belt on Lex Luger, and 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 you know, Chrissy, looking back all those years from like eighty seven uh, up eighty seven through through ninety, you know, Ric Flair had a little feud going on with Lex Luger. Luger was chasing the belt, you know, as Luger. As Luger winning this belt from Barry, it, it would have to still not set well with Luger, knowing that all those years that he put in to beat Ric Flair, and he never got to do that. Never beat Ric Flair. Never did. Had many, many chances. Many. And uh, Flair had his number over the years. And uh, <laughs> the mystique of trying to beat Ric Flair. Ain't <laughs> nobody know, doing it. Uh, <laughs> Someone's done it. To be the man not, you Not too him. many can say they did. Nope, not not <laughs> many at all. Uh, now, uh, you know, I know what I know. He's a 16-time world champion. He always says I had to lose it 15 times. Right. But outside of that, I don't think he lost too many more. No, <laughs> not at all. When we're talking singles competition. Right. Right. Um, for sure. You, you know, for, for sure. And it, it's kind of funny. I, I actually looked, I found a picture online of both steel cage matches and the cage was really short for this paper. <laughs> yeah, it was not the normal cage that they use. I don't, I don't believe. Um, I think it was missing one panel and section above the tie. I think Ellie Gante might've been. Able to step over <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, uh, it was really, I, I if the cage was eight feet high, it was lucky to be eight feet high, and that's really not high for 
or a, a you, you know a wrestling on a pay per view level of a, of a steel cage match. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now going on now 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 as as the pay per view can't get any worse. Now you watch you watch this pay per view and you and you see the world for years the world championship is the main event and that's what everybody come to see. But on this occasion, unfortunately, we it's not what they came to see. What the 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 go home uh, match was um, Rick Steiner against Arn Anderson and Paulie Dangerously. Now, a uh, little background of this match. Uh, the, the final match was supposed to be the Steiner brothers and Missy Hyatt against Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, and Paul E. Dangerously. Um, after Windham was, was moved to the title match uh, after Ric Flair left WCW, then Scott Steiner actually sustained an injury. So the match was changed into a mixed tag team match, putting Rick Steiner and Missy Hyatt against Arn Anderson and Paulie Dangerously. Now, before the match, Dick Murdoch and Dick Slater, who was uh, wrestling then as the hardliners, uh, they came out, they take Missy Hyatt backstage, and they turn the match into a handicap match. Uh, so now it's Rick Steiner uh, by himself against um, Arn Anderson and Paulie Dangerously. Now, here's the backstory of that. The reason why they came and took Missy is in reality that was done because the Maryland State Athletic Commission didn't allow intergendered matches. Hmm. So that was did their way. Of, yeah, I didn't either. So that was that was their way of uh, of advertising advertising that she's going to be in this match and then taking her out of it. Um, so all in all, end of the end of the show, um, Rick Steiner defeats uh, Arn Anderson and Paulie Dangerously, and we all go home scratching our head. Thinking to ourselves, why did we pay that forty nine ninety five pay per view <laughs> buy fee uh, to watch the absolute worst Great American Bash in the history of Great American Bashes? Um, I'm sure that the great um, Jim Crockett Promotions uh, were uh, was watching this and going, "Man, we went from the price of freedom or the freedom challenge <laughs> to this." Uh, very shocking, but you know, at the time WCW, well, WCW in general was, was in the middle of a, of a changeover. The, as a matter of fact, this was actually the first pay-per-view that they had that they ran under the world championship wrestling banner. Um, cause at this time I think NWA had, um, had, had, had left or had, had, or I'm sorry, WCW had, had broke away from the NWA. Um, and they decided to, to change it from the NWA to World Championship Wrestling. They were trying to compete with the WWF, and unfortunately, on this pay of view, uh, they didn't make it. Wow. This pay per view has been enjoyable to, to critique and dissect, Tony. I got to tell you, this is, I don't know where you, I, I just don't know. I've just read some of the ratings and reviews on this, and it's. It is just all over the board, uh, everyone. But I think at the end of the day, you could say, I think if WCW wants to forget about a pay-per-view, I think this is one of them. They were just, let's get uh, Halloween Havoc or wherever the next ball brawl, wherever the heck we're going with this storyline, and, and let's get out of Baltimore, Maryland as quick as possible. Yeah, for sure. They were, they were, they were ready, to, uh, ready to get out of there and to uh, – to, uh, Go home, get your pay, and get back to the booking 
to the booking committee on Monday to figure out where in the heck they were going to go. Uh, now, incidentally, one thing that I didn't mention that I almost forgot, so I'm glad I thought of it. Now, the one thing about this world title match, Luger and Barry Windham, uh, this, this, this was the first time that we saw Harley Race come out. And at the time, we didn't know whose side he was going to be on. Was he going to be on Barry's or was he going to be on Lex's? And then finally he told Lex, you know, now, now, and Luger, um, Luger finally hits Barry Windham with the pile driver, which, as we all know, that was Harley Race's um, signature move, uh, and that right there solidified and let us know who Luger, or I'm sorry, who Harley Race is going to be with at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Harley, right? I did, I did read somewhere that Harley was a, a part of this show, and um, you know, testament, you know, using the pile driver and, and the ring, but that was Harley's finishing move, and. Uh, uh, I think he, I think he heard a lot of wrestlers along the way in his stellar career. <laughs> with oh, that yeah. move. You knew if the pile driver was coming, it was, uh, it was going to be about lights out. Not, not, not too many wrestlers in the ring. I could think could say that they've kicked out of a, a, a three count of after a Harley races pile driver. No, definitely not. And, uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be something else. Now, uh, that, that ended our, um, our, uh, uh, our, our segments of Great American Bash, uh, since this is July the 31st. And now moving into August, our topics next month is going to be what was the greatest factions in the history of professional wrestling. Uh, now, there, there's been a lot of them. Uh, there's been the Full Horsemen, the DX, um, the NWO. Uh, I, I can go on and on. And uh, and during the month of August, Chris and I are going to be breaking down who was the best, what was the best addition, who was the worst person that, that got put in that spot, um, whatever the case may be. Um, but all that's coming up. And uh, on on next month's uh, or yeah ne- next month's shows, uh, we're going to break them down. But right now, before we leave the show, I've got a little um, promo on the play. In my opinion, the greatest faction in the history of professional wrestling, I'm talking about the Four Horsemen. Today we're facing a serious threat. We have to meet it as one.
to where it should be on top of the heap. I guess what we're trying to say is whether you're a fat out of shape truck driver, whether you're a skinny geek pushing a taxi cab, whether you're a doctor or lawyer that doesn't have half the money we have, this is the way life is. If Ollie wants to slap Road Warrior Hawk, he'll do it. If Tully wants to spit on Road Warrior Animal, he'll do it. If Iron wants to take Dusty Rhodes, do all that, he'll do it. And Nikita, if I want you, all three of them, to hold you, I'm going to slap you. I'm going to spit on you. I'm going to kick you. And I'm going to go, woo, all night long. Uh, there it is, fans. The uh, the four horsemen, the probably the baddest faction in the history of professional wrestling. Chris, w- going into this, uh, what what would uh, you say is is going to be your your favorite faction? Boy, I, I, I'm excited for the month of August to talk about this. You know, I, I, I'm leading four horsemen. You know, I, I got NWO in my brain. I've got Degeneration X on my brain. There could be a couple others out there, but but, but I, I'm going to tell you that that interview right there. Um, it, it seemed like it was after uh, one of their one of the NWA shows. I heard fans in the background. I mean, fire. I mean, Flair was fired up. Arn Anderson was fired up. There, there, there's no one in wrestling today that could talk like that on the microphone and 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 have. Everyone just so bought in and, and 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 passionate about it. Yeah, definitely. So that that, that was a special time, um, and and in, in the wrestling business. And unfortunately, that time is coming gone. Just like the time for this edition of the Binge Buster Show. We hope that you fans enjoyed it. If you did, go over and download us on your favorite podcast platform. Go like our Facebook page and send me and Chris a message. Let let's know what you want to hear. Who 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 you'd like to have on like to hear on our show um or just tell us how bad we suck we don't we don't care we we, 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 we just want some feedback so um so so fans make sure you do that chris you have anything you want to say before we go off the air tonight boy it's been it's been great tony to do this with you each and every week i know there's a lot going on in the world it was great to kick it back to the summer in 91 it was a special time for me i was in the the heart of my college studies up in the northeast still had my eye on professional wrestling at that time but also rock and roll music and different things as a as a as a 20 year old back then so uh, but hey it was great we had some good laughs on this program and you kind of wonder i think some of these guys uh they're probably scratching their heads saying gosh what was i doing on this program in 1991 with the wcw and what the heck was going on in wrestling and uh but at the end of the day the storyline was obviously the departure of rick flair from the wcw and his eventual eventual arrival in in the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, well, fans, make sure you tune in next week, and we'll see you then on the Binge Buster Show. Thank you for listening to the Binge Buster Show. Make sure you like us on Facebook and download us on your favorite podcast platform.